Hope. This first week of Advent is all about hope. Let's think about hope as we hear Lamentations 3, 21 through 24. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. Let's pray. Father God, as the Advent season begins, we cry out to you. We come to you looking for hope. When everything else we rely on fails us, our only hope is in you. When we don't understand what has happened, we hope in you. We can hope for better days because we trust you. We know you and we know you are here with us no matter what we are facing. Some of us see only darkness this time of year. Some of us find life overwhelming. Some of us are filled with Advent joy. Wherever we find ourselves today, Lord, remind us that our hope is in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Give it up for Jonathan. Well, good morning. Good morning to our viewers online as well. Um, as I mentioned last weekend, as Doug mentioned, this Sunday we're starting a Christmas outreach uh, where we're signing up to, to buy Christmas presents for children uh, or adults from several at-risk groups here in Fergus Falls. Um, and they were listed on the screen there, and I mentioned them last week. Uh, we have some of them out there right now on the table uh, for you to sign up for. We have some more coming, so uh, in the next couple of weeks, uh, there'll be more names added that you can sign up for from, from other uh, organizations. The idea is that you would sign up uh, for one or more. Uh, it could be a child, it could be a family or an adult. Uh, you go buy presents, you wrap them, and then you bring them back uh, to the church so that the appropriate organization then come and pick them up and to distribute them. Um, I think the deadline to bring everything back is uh, December 12th, so, uh, but there'll be more information out at the table. You can do this with your family, you can do it with your small group, you can do it with your ministry team that you're a part of, um, or you can just do it by yourself if you want. And the next week, we will start promoting a special Christmas offering that I talked about last week, uh, which will be evenly distributed between three local outreaches. So today is the first Sunday of Advent. Um, if you're not familiar um, with Advent, with the liturgical calendar, um, Advent is the four, four weeks leading up to Christmas. It's an old tradition. It dates back to at least 400 AD when the early church observed a period of preparation leading up into Christmas. The idea of course, is that Advent is a time where we're preparing our hearts for the birth of Jesus Christ. The word Advent comes from the Latin Adventus, Adventus, which means arrival or appearance. Um, the Advent season focuses both on remembering Christ's first coming at Christmas and also um, anticipating his second coming, which I talked a lot about last week. This Advent, we'll be sharing a series of messages um, exploring the various themes 
represented by the five candles uh, on the Advent wreath. So candles have been used uh, for a long time throughout church history, Um, but the Advent wreath is a relatively, in the grand scheme of things, recent tradition uh, in church history. The first Advent wreath was invented by a German pastor back in 1839. Um, He took took an old wheel cart and he turned it on its side um, and he actually put 28 candles around the the rim of it, um, 24 small red candles uh, around the rim interspersed with four larger white candles. Um, And the pastor created this wreath to satisfy the children at the mission school that he taught at. Um, Every day they were asking, is it Christmas yet? Is it Christmas yet? You You know this drill, right, if you have kids. So they would light a new candle each day to help them count the days until Christmas. Um, The larger candles were lit on Sundays and the smaller candles were lit on the days in between. As the tradition spread, the smaller candles were eventually removed uh, in favor of a wreath with just the four larger candles and a fifth candle in the center. The four outer candles are lit on each successive Sunday of Advent while the center candle is lit either on Christmas Eve or on Christmas Day. So there are a lot of different interpretations uh, of the candles, but the most common layout is where the first candle represents hope, the second represents peace, the third candle is the pink candle, represents joy, and the fourth candle uh, represents love. And then the fifth candle, the center candle, the white candle, is the Christ candle. So these themes of hope, peace, joy, and love, of course, go all the way back to the first Christmas. Um, They're deeply rooted in scripture. And so it's very appropriate that we take time this Advent season to reflect on those themes in light of scripture and in light of the Christmas story. First candle, as I said, represents hope. And so today we'll be looking at how Hope in Christ relates to Advent and Christmas and to our own lives today. So let me begin with a story. This is a true story. In the summer of 2017, two commercial fishermen, uh, their names were John Aldridge and Anthony Sosinski, They left Montauk, Long Island and headed about 40 miles out into the Atlantic Ocean. Anthony was sleeping below deck and John was getting things ready for the catch. John was pulling on a handle really hard and then all of a sudden he flew backwards and he flew off right off the boat into the water. The boat was on autopilot so it just kept going. And as soon as John resurfaced from the water, um, he began yelling for help, even though um, he knew Anthony was asleep um, down below and there was no way he could hear him. So John watched the boat go up and over the crest of a wave, and then it was gone. So he was alone, treading water in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. He didn't even have a life vest on. 
Um, and he thought, this is how I'm going to die. Uh, while John was trying to calm down and stay afloat, he realized that his boots were pretty buoyant. Um, so he got an idea. He took one of his boots off and he, he poured the water out. Um, and then he plunged it back down into the water, hoping that it would create an air pocket in the boot. It did, and it worked. And so John stuck, stuck the boots under his arms as flotation devices. So now at least he could stay afloat, right? A flicker of hope. John thought of his family, and he thought of the fact that no one anywhere even knew that he was missing. Four hours later on the boat, Anthony woke up, and he realized John was gone. Um, he called the Coast Guard, and then they began a search. The Coast Guard commander uh, told him that he didn't have much hope in finding John in so much open water there in the Atlantic. John somehow made it to morning and tried to keep his hope alive, but as the hours kept passing um, and there was no sign of help, he started to lose hope. He eventually spotted a buoy and he was able to reach it and climb onto it. A new surge of hope, right? So in less than an hour, a Coast Guard helicopter flew by and spotted John waving, and they pulled him out into safety. So miraculously, John Aldridge survived. Hope fulfilled. Advent is a season of hope, right? Advent is not just preparing for Christmas. It is a season that links the past, the present, and the future. Advent offers us uh, to enter into the ancient longing for the coming of the Messiah, to celebrate his birth, and to be ready for his second coming. Um, in a season where we often get so busy, Advent is an opportunity to kind of set aside time to prepare our hearts and help us focus on the story of God's redeeming love for his people. It's a season for reflecting on what it means that God sent his son into the world to be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Advent at its core is a celebration that God comes, that he comes to be with us, that he is God with us. And in the darkness, in the pain, in the chaos, even in our brokenness, God comes and he makes a way. So this morning, the first Sunday in Advent, Jonathan Elliott lit the candle of hope. And that hope has been on a long journey to find us here today. As humans, we tend to be impatient, right? I'll speak for myself. I tend to be impatient. Do you tend to be impatient? Yes? Yeah, right. The people in the Bible, they weren't any different, right? Um, the cry of the Israelites throughout the Old Testament over and over and over again is, how long, O oh God, how long, how long, right? From the times of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to David, Elijah, Jeremiah, right? All the rest of the prophets, there is a recurring pattern. It's like a pendulum that swing back and forth of devotion to God and neglect of God. 
Devotion to God, neglect of God, over and over, right? This pendulum just swings back and forth. The Israelites weren't that much different from us, right? When things were good, they tended to forget about God. And when things were bad, they cried out to God for help. But somehow through all that, for the ancient Israelites, there was an ongoing longing for God to fulfill his covenant and his promise of a Messiah who would come to make all things right. This wasn't just like a nice thought that they would have every once in a while. Like this was a deep hope that sustained them and encouraged them. The prophet Isaiah, he lived 700 years before Jesus, but he gave us some beautiful words that ring with hope for the coming Messiah. So listen to a few of them. First one is Isaiah 7:14. The Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Isaiah 7:14. Then Isaiah 9:2. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And then a little later in the same chapter in Isaiah, um, he writes, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, a Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. So we see this hope begin to be fulfilled as we encounter Zechariah in the book of Luke. Zechariah. Zechariah would have been well acquainted with the words and the prophecies of Isaiah. Zechariah was a priest. Luke described Zechariah as righteous and blameless. And being who he was, right, he too held on the hope for the Messiah that Isaiah described. But Zechariah wasn't expecting this explosion of hope that God was literally about to pour into the world during his lifetime. Like Zechariah knew what it meant when an angel showed up and told him that he would have a son and who he would become. Luke 1.17 says, He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. So Zechariah knew the prophecies of the Messiah, and also he knew that this was a miraculous birth because he and his wife Elizabeth were well beyond the years of childbearing. So this was literally a miracle. So can you imagine the hope that arose in this couple and the people around them when they heard this news, right? All of those old prophecies that they had known their whole lives were about to be fulfilled in their life. The one prophesied to come in the spirit of Elijah, prepare the way for the Messiah, is coming. Okay? This is the hope that we see at the beginning of the Christmas story. So maybe you're hearing this and you're thinking, um, yeah, that's great for those people, but what about me? 
right? So there's this thing that preachers have to do, and it's to connect this ancient world that's in another culture on the other side of the planet to the here and now, right? They call this, in seminary, they call this hermeneutics. It's a bridge building. There's a lot of things you have to, to um, go through in order to connect that world to the here and now, right? So the here and now. You say, that's great for those people, but what about me, right? They weren't dealing with COVID, um, or maybe they weren't fighting cancer, right? Or dealing with a sick family member. Um, they didn't lose their job with no warning, right? With bills and debt to pay, um, kids expecting Christmas presents, right? No matter what kinds of problems or struggles that you are facing right now, no matter what kind of season of darkness and pain that you are in, let me encourage you not to abandon hope. Hope is still alive even in our darkest pain in our most hopeless circumstances. Hope is alive even in the darkest areas of our brokenness. Hope is alive because God is with us, Emmanuel, right? How can we know that? How can we find that spark of hope when in some cases, some of us are on the verge of literally giving up? So, I wanna give you, I know it always sounds formulaic, but I have three, three ways Three ways um, that I think you can begin to rekindle and reconnect with God's hope this Advent season. Okay? Three ways. I prayed long and hard about this. These are things that uh, I have personally done over the years um, that have helped me experience God's presence and have hope again, even in the midst of all kinds of discouragement and despair. Um, first, I would encourage you to take time during each week of Advent to pause, to embrace silence, and create space for an intimate encounter with God. Okay? If that means getting up earlier, if you're a morning person, if that means getting up earlier, then do it. If you're a night owl, and that means staying up later, then do it. Okay, if you need to go outside to get away, then do it. So my best times with the Lord literally have been just me walking outside in the winter through the snow. Leave your phone off or leave it home, even better, right? Be silent. Silence is key. Silence does something for us. Um, it creates space for the divine. We often don't take time in the business of our lives to be still. To be still and reflect on what's going on around us, what's going on between us, and what's going on inside of us. 
We often just move from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, and, and we create very little space uh, or time for silence and reflection. And because busyness, busyness and noise and distraction um, is the way of the world, we often, we don't even notice it, right? We're just used to it. We're used to the cacophony of noise and the busyness of just going from boom to boom to boom to boom, next thing, next thing, and before you know it, you just fall into bed exhausted at the end of the day. But when we find space and we find time to be silent, to be still, to be quiet, um, that constant drumbeat that is driving us sometimes to do more, to be more, to get more, um, that begins to quiet. Might not happen your first session, it might not happen your 10th or even your 20th, but eventually it will start to quiet. We can create space in our lives that disrupts our normal rhythms and allows God to begin to speak hope to us. Because only he can speak to the depth of our soul that kind of hope that we need. Amen? We practice the discipline of silence to create uh, a sacred space so we can quiet the noise of the world outside of us and we can quiet the noise that is within us. Where we can begin to center ourselves and we can begin to be open to the presence of God. Blaise Pascal, French mathematician, uh, he once said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. So that's the first thing, to rekindle hope. The second thing we can do to rekindle hope is by finding our hope in God's word. So our hope is based on the person of Jesus Christ, who is the word of God, but we can encounter that word through God's written word, the Bible. Okay? Part of that, that phrase, God is with us, is the written word that he's left us, right? It's not just the Holy Spirit within us, it's not just um, God at work in the world, but it is his written word. So, a few scriptures here of hope. Romans 5.5, 5, hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Most of you are familiar with the next one, Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And then Isaiah 40.31 those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. So we can read these words, um, and if you're just really honest, which I'm a big fan of, um, if you're just really honest, like you go, well, that didn't really have much of an effect on me. It was a nice thought, but now I've got to get back to the things that are in front of me. Or we can meditate on those words, ruminate on them. I like that word, ruminate. 
Uh, like a cow chewing the cud. You ever seen a cow chewing the cud? That's what we need to do with Scripture, right? We meditate on it. We ruminate on it. The Scriptures all throughout the Bible talk about this. Um, maybe even memorize them, and then they begin to give us tremendous hope. God with us means that he will always be with us and nothing can take that away. And as we create space and are silent, as we invite God to speak to us, um, one of the primary ways that he speaks to us is through his word. Um, And then these words from scripture become literally like beacons of hope, Um, reminders Um, that assure us that no matter what we're facing, no matter how bleak today looks, no matter how bad the pain is, God will never leave us. In Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So keep a list of hopeful scriptures Um, on you and refer to them several times throughout the day, every day, right? Um, I recommend writing them on a note card uh, and just keeping that with you, right? Don't, if you put them on your phone, uh, then you'll have to pull out your phone to look at them and then uh, you'll be tempted to look at something else, right? So keep them on a note card, put them in your pocket, pull them out several times a day and read them. Um, If you, eventually, if you do this long enough, you will have memorized those scriptures. And you won't even have to carry around that card anymore. Or you can start carrying a new card around with new scriptures. Another way, uh, so that, that was the second way, which is getting the hopeful scriptures of God's word into our hearts, meditating on them, ruminating on them, perhaps even memorizing them. It gives us hope. Uh, The third, another way we can rekindle hope is by focusing on and remembering God's faithfulness in our lives. Maybe that sounds trite to you, um, simplistic. But there is power in remembering all the things that God has done in our lives. Right? Over and over in scripture, God says, remember, 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 right? There is power in remembering what God has done. Um, what are those times when you've experienced God's work in your life? Right? Times when you can say, the Lord was with me at this time. Like, or the Lord did something in my life at this time, or the Lord answered a prayer of mine at this time, all right? So uh, this fall, we launched uh, Life Church 101, first step in our discipleship track. Um, It's an introduction to the church where you get to meet pastors, you get to meet some new people, you learn about the church, and then at the end, if you decide to, you can be become a member of Life Church. So we'll keep doing those, probably four of those a year. Um, so if you haven't taken that, you still can. But next spring, uh, we'll be launching Life Church 201, which will be a little bit longer. It'll be seven sessions long in each of the sessions taught by uh, different pastors. 
So there's like, there's a small group component, so you get to meet some people. Um, but because we want you to figure out like, what are your next steps in your spiritual growth and discovering and walking out your calling in the kingdom, um, that class 201 will include several assessments. One is a spiritual growth assessment, one is a shape assessment, and the third is the thing I wanna focus on uh, for a minute. It's called a life map exercise. So in the first session of 201, I personally will be leading that class through a life map exercise where you'll explore the different facts, uh, different factors of your life that have shaped who you are today. Okay? So those, those factors um, that powerfully influence how you feel, how you relate to others, how you relate to God, how you interpret and experience the ways others relate to you. Um, and a big part of this life map exercise is this idea of remembering. Remembering all that God has done in your life. Remembering when he has blessed you. Remembering when he has showed you grace. Remembering when he was with you, even in the, the low valleys of your life. And as we do this, we often begin to see patterns and themes emerge uh, in our life. Like, what was God establishing in your life even before you came to know him? What patterns do you see uh, in the pivotal decisions that you've made in your life, the unique opportunities that you were given, um, and the transforming experiences that you've had in your life, right? What was God preparing you for? Even in the most painful parts of your life, right? God does not waste anything, right? He uses all of it. So in, in doing this life map exercise, uh, you begin to see the arc of your story with God. And it takes this idea of remembering like to a whole new level. Right? And there can arise in you sort of this new level of self-awareness, a new level of God-awareness. Um, when we look at our lives from like a 10,000-foot view, um, from our earliest memories all the way up to the present, and it begins to spark a hope uh, in us as we begin to see the bigger picture of God's work in and through our lives. Right. So that will launch this spring. Uh, it'll be on Thursday nights beginning February 24th. And um, for now, we'll be doing that class 201 twice a year, uh, once in the spring and once in the fall. Uh, 101, Life Church 101 is a prerequisite for that class. So if you didn't take 101 yet, uh, you can take that in the spring and then take 201 in the fall. Um, but until you take that, do that life map exercise, um, you can start by remembering like all the times when God was there in your life, in the good, in the bad, in the ugly, right? He was there. He was there in all of it, right? Even before you chose to follow him, he was there. And I would encourage you as you make space for this, you're silent, you're silent, 
you are seeking the Lord and he's bringing things to your remembrance, perhaps even that you had forgotten, that you write these things down. Um, because it's encouraging. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe you are sitting there thinking, like, how does all that give us hope? Like, really? Um, but as you, as you remember and you write those things down, you will begin to see things to be thankful for that you probably overlooked or just forgot. Right? You will begin to see where God was with you both in the highs and the lows of your life. And you might begin to see like, not only how God is working in you and has been molding you and shaping you, right? This process, the theological word is sanctification, becoming more and more holy and Christ-like, but how God is going to work through you. He never stops with us, right? If you're still breathing, God's not done with you, right? Don't limit what God can do through you. I say this to myself all the time uh, when I get discouraged um, and I think it's a, like somehow I'm not measuring up, you know. I remember God used a donkey. <laughs> it's not about me, right? It's about him. One of the guys I discipled uh, at my last church, um, he worked for, for, for the city doing like traffic signal work. Um, he was in his late 50s and within a few years of retirement. Um, in my working with him, I uh, discovered that there was a pastoral calling on his life. Like he's in his late 50s and he's about ready to retire. And he's telling me, I think God's calling me to be a pastor. So in the two years leading up to his retirement, um, he was doing schooling for ministry and he was doing a two-year two pastoral internship with me. When he retired, uh, we hired him on to oversee all of our support and recovery ministries and to launch a new campus. Um, he is now retired from ministry and he has become an author. He's written, written a few books. If you are still breathing, God is not done with you yet. Amen? Okay. I think we tend to limit ourselves and what God can do through us, with us, um, based on our narrow view of what we think we're capable of. But God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. Reflect on that one for a while. Right? That is a biblical pattern you see throughout the Bible. God calls people who are like, uh, are you talking to me? <laughs> There's somebody who's way better and more equipped to do this thing that you're asking me to do. Right? God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. And he doesn't just call people to be pastors. He calls them to like all kinds of different ministries, whether it's in the church whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in your neighborhood. Uh, big ministries like Young Life or some really small ministries like 
Literally, you just like regularly meet with one other person and you're encouraging one another, praying for one another, right? That's a ministry. So our scripture this morning um, that Jonathan read was Lamentations 3, verses 21 to 24. But I want to read a couple of extra verses of that, 21 through 26. It'll be up on the screen. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. So did you see that at the beginning of that scripture? When we, when we remember the Lord's love, his mercy, his faithfulness, we have hope. The author of Lamentations, uh, Jeremiah, understood that there's hope for the future when we remember what God has done for us in the past. Recognizing the good that God has shown us in the past can build our hope for what he will do for us in the future. And this is the living hope that will sustain us even in our darkest days. Psalm 130, verse one says, from the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. So that phrase, from the depths of despair, like that's the place we all enter into every once in a while, right? Every one of us. From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. It's an image of someone who's on their knees seeking God's face in prayer, praying for help in what seems like a hopeless situation. And the picture here, it's interesting, in the original Hebrew is of someone who is drowning at sea. Like there's no shore in sight, and there's no bottom under their feet. It's kind of like the fisherman I, I told you about. So it is a picture of utter desperation and hopelessness. Maybe some of you are feeling like that right now. Um, maybe you're going through financial issues or health issues. Maybe it's your marriage, your kids, your job. Maybe it's a mental health issue, anxiety, depression, or something else. Maybe this is something that you have been dealing with for quite a while. Maybe you feel like you've done everything that you can and it has not changed, it is still the same. Maybe you've been crying. Maybe you've been crying out to the Lord. The message of hope for you this Advent season is Psalm 130, verses five through seven. It says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord, his unfailing love, 
and with him is full redemption. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't heard God speak or you have not seen him move yet in your situation that you're dealing with, do not give up hope. God is good. God is trustworthy. He will neither fail you nor forsake you. Wait for his perfect answer in his perfect time. Continue to trust in God's word and in his faithful love for you. And remember, this Advent season, more than anything else, God is with you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us. You promised to neither leave us nor forsake us. You were there at our birth and you've been there our whole lives. Help us, Lord, to be silent, to be still, to enter into your presence. God, fill our hearts with the promises of hope from your word. Help us remember the grace and the mercy and the blessings that you have showered over our lives. Lord, spark hope again in our hearts as we prepare for the celebration of our Savior's birth and for his second coming. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.